Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dance It Out, a Grey's Anatomy podcast, where your hosts Giuseppe Corallo and Jasmine Petty. Thank you to everyone for joining us. Today, we're going to be revisiting another classic episode of Grey's Anatomy. This week, we're taking a look back at season two, episode 18, entitled Yesterday. So, Jasmine, before we start, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm tired, but uh, I'm otherwise good. Uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm pretty good as well. I mean, I'm tired because, you know, uh, summer holidays are approaching. So at work, we have to do everything before we close. But at the same time, summer holidays are approaching. So <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited. So guys, as, as you know, this summer, we have decided to rewatch some classic episodes of Grace. We started a few weeks ago with another classic episode and we had Tammy on. Hi, Tammy, if you're listening to us. <laughs> And this time, as we said, we're going to talk another classic episode. And before we start, and before Jasmine gives us, uh, tells us about uh, the usual episode recap, I wanted to say something and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, Jasmine. But when we decided to, you know, to, to, to talk about this episode, we thought, okay, let's do an episode which is a classic episode, which is an iconic episode, but at the same time, it is not an episode which is talked very much like, you know, bomb episodes. Everyone knows those episodes. Mm-hmm. And so when we agreed on this episode, we did because we remembered that this episode saw the entrance of Mark Sloan, of Mixtimi. So we thought, okay, that is a classic, iconic moment. Let's talk about that episode. And then while I was re-watching this episode, I realized that lots of other iconic things happen so this is going to be an interesting review. Jasmine, do you want to start with your recap? Just before I get into that, we should also say that uh, we've got a premiere date for the new season, for season 18. So they've just announced that it will be back on uh, September 30th, uh, which is very exciting. I have but- to say that I thought they were going to come back later, like meet up. Me too. Top. I thought maybe October. Yeah, me too. I was pretty surprised. Also because they haven't started filming yet. Yeah, because normally, I mean, it's July, so normally they would start at the beginning of July, I believe, end of June. Yeah. So my guess is that they'll probably start filming at the beginning of August, which if they start, if the first episode airs the 30th, that means they'll have two months worth of episodes, like, completed when they, like, when they start to air, which, you know, which is, I mean, it's like, that's a month less than they normally have, but I mean, they can obviously still make it work. They wouldn't have, uh, they wouldn't have set that date and announced it if they couldn't. So yeah, that's exciting. It looks like this, um, like for other shows too, it looks like this season of uh, TV is going to be more normal, more like what we're used to. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. We all need Yeah, we all need that. Uh, do you want to count me down? Yes. Okay. Three, two, one. Go with your recap. <laughs> this episode features the arrival of McSteamy himself as Mark Sloan comes to Seattle Grace for the first time. Drama heats up between Mark Derek Addison when Mark convinces a patient with facial tumors that he can do a surgery to fix his face that Derek deems too risky. Meanwhile, Izzy treats a patient with spontaneous orgasms and tries to avoid her desire to have sex with Alex, and Meredith and Burke treat a heart patient with an interesting way of saying goodbye. George tries to tell Meredith how he feels. Burke is upset when he realizes that Christina did not give up her apartment, and Meredith pays a visit to her father. See, lots of things happen during this episode. It's, it is not just like steamy happening. It's Meredith and their father, Meredith and George and Izzy and Alex. 
It's a lot, right? Yeah. And like when I was doing this recap, like there was stuff I had to cut because I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably talk about that. But there was just so much going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it's all, like it's all small moments, you know, like yeah. at the time, I mean, again, like I didn't, you know, I binge watched the show, you know that. Um, but like it, like it didn't stand out to me as an iconic episode. But now looking back, I mean, we remember it for the arrival of McSteamy. But when you look at everything else that's happening in this episode, um, there are there are so many moments that become iconic, I think. Yeah, yeah. There are so many stories, so many lines that become iconic in this episode. So, mm. so many lines. And what I, okay, so here we are almost at the end of season two. I mean, there are still like nine episodes left before the end, but we're approaching that moment. And so the writers were starting to build this momento. And what I thought was interesting and I want to point out is that this episode was actually written by Krista Vernoff, who's the current showrunner of the show. I mean, since season 13. So as you know, Krista Vernoff was co-showrunner for the first seven seasons and then she left and then she came back for season 14. And this is one episode written for uh, which was written for her. And we didn't know that when we chose the episode. And maybe this is also why it feels classic Grace, because it was written by an amazing writer. Yeah, and something else I noticed was, I think this is because it's so early on in the run of the show, but when I looked up the, the information, so Christopher Vernoff is, is credited as writing the teleplay, and Mimi uh, Shermer is, write, is credited as story. So it was yeah. co-written. So, and I think that was common, like in the earlier days of the show for, you know, like one person wrote the story and then somebody else wrote the teleplay and like, and then as the show kind of, you know, got on and writers got more comfortable and they'd been on the, working on the show longer, you have either one or two people like writing, like it just says like they, they, they're just credited as the writer of the episode. It's not split up like that. Yeah. Um, which that was interesting. And it's directed by Rob Korn as well, who I know has directed, um, other, you know, other Grey's Anatomy episodes as well. Yeah, he's read a lot of stuff. Okay, so this episode, as we said, sees the arrival, the arrival of Mark Sloan and the arrival of the nickname Mexteamy. <laughs> oh, I mean, I completely had forgotten the scene between Christina, Meredith and Izzy and George talking about how to, which nickname to give Mark. So it is, is it Mac Sexy? Is it Mac Yummy? That the end, I didn't remember that it was actually I remember that. Although I think I did because it, it often comes up in like my Instagram like reels where like, you know, when you go to that section where like it shows you like posts for you, that scene comes up quite frequently because people will do little videos of it all the time. <laughs> no, I, did, I didn't. I actually didn't. So Meredith is the first person to call him Max Steamy. Mm-hmm. And that. George falling with uh, with a line that I love in which he said, oh, I'm just chalking back some Mac vomit. So those were the days in which everybody kept saying Mac dreamy, Mac steamy, Mac vomit, Mac beach, Mac, uh, Mac you know, yeah. it was so funny when they talked like this. And also besides, you know, the, the nickname Mac steamy, this is the beginning of the Dirty Mistress Club. Yes. And this, yes. And this is Mark Sloan bringing it up. So basically, Mark Sloan arrives at the hospital, and the first thing he does, poor guy, is to flirt with Meredith Grey, the <laughs> love of Derek's life. 
and you know he gets punched by Derek for doing so and I thought that was a funny funny scene a funny way to introduce the character and a funny way also to highlight how powerful is the connection that Derek feels towards Meredith at this point in the series actually during the entire run of the series but you know and I thought it it creates a great dynamic between these four characters, Mark, Edison, Meredith, and Derek. And re-watching this episode, I felt so much pain for Edison Shepherd. Really? Because I felt the opposite. I was like, I couldn't sympathize with her at all. Like No, I felt so much pain for her and for Meredith. You know, okay. So as you know, when I watched this episode, I was 15 years old. As I was so, so invested in the Meredith and Derek relationship that I, that I didn't see anything else. I was like, oh, I want Meredith and Derek back together. I want them to work out. Oh my God, I love Derek. Oh my God, I love Meredith. But I, now rewatching this as I am 31 years old, I'm like, oh my God, Derek was so, such a douche in this episode and during season two. Because, okay, I get it. He try to do the right thing by being with Edison, by trying to make his marriage work. But at the same time, it is so evident that he still loves Meredith. So he's making suffering two people at the same time, Edison, because he doesn't love her anymore, and Meredith, because he keeps with her this intimate relationship without being intimate. So re-watching these episodes, I get why so many people sometimes say, oh, Derek can be a douche sometime. Because again, he's a great guy, he's a good guy, but come on, he made suffer those two women pointlessly. He loved Meredith. He's, he, what was the point for him to be for him to stay with with Edison? You know what I mean. That is why I felt bad for her. Not because she what she what she did was not wrong. Of course it was. She slept with her husband's best friend, but because you know she made a mistake, and everybody makes a mistake, and. And Derek is actually punishing her. So basically, Derek punishes Edison for the entirety of season two. That is why I felt bad for her. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I think for me, you know, what, what I couldn't sympathize with Addison was, is that, you know, Mark straight up says to her, like, you know, you came here, you know, you say you love your husband, you say you want to make it work, but he's obviously in love with this intern. He's not trying to hide it. You know that. Why would you want to stay for that? Like come back to New York with me. And as we later find out, you know, Mark and Addison, you know, Derek thinks it was a one, was like a one-time thing, but it was actually an affair. They wind up splitting up because Mark, you know, cheated on Addison as Mark does in those days. But he straight up says to Addison, he's like, you know, he like, you're, you're lying to him. Like he doesn't, he thinks it was a one-time thing. He doesn't realize we had, you know, that we, we stayed together after that. How do you expect your marriage to work if you're lying to him? And Addison lies to Derek repeatedly throughout that entire thing. And then she takes like, no, that's, but she takes his house. She takes the brownstone and Mark, like Mark's the good guy there. Mark's being like, stop lying to Derek, you know, stop stealing his houses, stop lying to him. And so I couldn't, I couldn't empathize with Addison because I'm like, Mark is like, Mark is Derek's best friend. He's like, I lost my best friend and I lost you. And yet he's like, this is never going to work. And like, why are you torturing yourself? So I didn't, I struggled to understand Addison's perspective because Mark straight up calls out the fact that her and Derek's marriage has been over for a long time. And Derek is obviously in love with somebody else. And 
you know, but Addison's, you know, convinced him to stay to get back together with her. And they're clearly just making each other miserable. And that end scene where Meredith and Mark are at the bar and Derek and Addison are in the trailer just being miserable. I'm like, for the love of God, put yourselves out of your misery. You obviously hate each other. You're obviously not happy in your marriage. It's obviously been over for years. Like, yeah, Derek was being a douche, but Addison was also being quite dumb for a surgeon. Like, come on. Yeah, but she was was clinging to this idea of having her husband back because we have to remember I mean now we know it because we watched future episodes that at that point in their marriage Derek was actually neglecting her you know he was not a great husband at that time so yeah but why would you want to get back together with somebody who's been neglecting you for years and then is blatantly in love with somebody else like I don't get that like if they don't want me okay I know it's hard to get, but sometimes, I mean, I'm not speaking for personal, from personal experience, but I, I guess that sometimes can be really hard to let go of the idea of someone that you really loved in the past, you know? It must be really, really hard to face the truth, to face the reality. So Edison is living in this bubble, as you said, and it's like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to pretend that Derek doesn't love Meredith. I'm going to pretend that Derek is still in love with me. But at the same time, this bubble is about to burst open and we will know that this bubble will burst open at the end of season two. But I actually get Edison. You know, I, I mean, I get Derek as well. But at the same time, what I'm saying is that he could have, you know, prevented all this suffering for everyone involved. Because we know that, I mean, based on what happens next, we know that right now is making just these two women suffer for no reason at yeah. all. But Addison could have too. I mean, she like, you know, he wants a divorce. They both do. And then she's like, well, there's a chance you might love me back. You might, you know, there's no chance I'm giving up. And she makes him feel guilty. She lies to him. And then, you know, so he stays, he, he gets back together with her. But then the, the way they both feel doesn't change. And I'm like, well, she could have just signed the papers and walked away. I think they were both idiots. Like, <laughs> I think that's the beauty of Grey's Anatomy. These characters are so complex and they always do the, I mean, not always, but they often do the, the wrong thing and still were so engrossed in their lives. Yeah. And this is why we've been keeping, we, we have been watching this show for, for, for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. And also this, this episode had one of the most poignant storyline in the entire series, I guess. It's the, one of the main focus is the relationship of Meredith and, and her father, Thatcher, a estranged father, Thatcher, who left her when she was uh, like five years old. And I actually did. So before at the beginning of the episode, I said that I didn't remember lots of moments, more of moments that happened in this episode. And I actually didn't remember it. This was the episode in which Meredith faced Thatcher for the first time. And I thought that was such an heartbreaking moment. Because as we know, at the beginning of the, ser- of, the, of the series, Meredith is dark and twisty and she has, she's not in a great place, you know? She, she feels like she doesn't deserve love because love in a way has been denied to her. I mean, uh, I don't know how it feels like, but to be abandoned by your father, to know that your father never thought enough to stay with you, to be there next to you, it must be so, it must hurt so much. And to see her finally having the courage to face him, to knock on his door and to ask him, why did you leave? Why didn't you stay? I thought it was a beautiful moment, beautiful acting from Ellen Pompeo, 
And and I was so devastated when 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 Thatcher told her, "Do you need anything?" I mean, you had been seeing your daughter for years, and the first thing you ask her is not is is just, "Do you need anything?" Like she doesn't have any right to knock on your door and just ask, "Why did you leave?" I mean. Now, looking back at all the series and looking back at the last scenes between Meredith and Thatcher, because as you know, Thatcher dies in season 15 and Meredith is, is on his deathbed. And I mean, to think about the journey that they make during all this season and the fact that Meredith is the last person that Thatcher sees before he dies. I mean, that's so, so powerful. And it all starts here from this moment in this episode, mm-hmm. which is titled yesterday what do you think about it yeah I thought that was that was heartbreaking you know Meredith gets up the courage and he's like do you need anything as if she needs money or something and then you know of course we later find out that you know he's gone on to remarry and have his other family and how crazy proud he is of his kids and you know all the stories that Lexi tells you know like when one of the reasons that Lexi and and Meredith don't get along at first is because you know she got to have everything Meredith never did and to Lexi the, you know, the man that that Meredith knows as Thatcher is completely different from the man that she knows, you know, like she tells her once that, you know, he go, he went to her grade eight graduation. That's not even a real thing, but they make it a thing. And so he's this loving, wonderful husband and father right up to the point where his wife dies. And but the person that Meredith knows is someone that, you know, like she says, the only thing she remembers about him is that he used to pour her cereal in the morning. He leaves. He doesn't fight you know, hard enough for, for her. She shows up 20 years later and he, he doesn't, he, he can't even, you know, give her closure. He just, he's like, well, do you need anything? Yeah, it's just, it's just so heartbreaking. The mayor gets up the courage and he's just, you know, off living his other life with his family. And yeah, I just, uh, my heart, my heart broke for Meredith. You know, it would have taken a lot of courage to do that. Like she says to George, like, I don't want to, she doesn't want to, you know, send tapes after she's gone, like so that she wants to, she's going to do something now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how heartbreaking that is. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's just so it's just so heartbreaking for me. To, and the and the decision she makes as a result, like not letting Derek love her when he's when that stuff is, you know, when everything Addison is finally resolved, you know, she she's having a hard time letting him love her, you know, the whole debacle with George. Yeah, like she makes a lot of bad choices because she's suffering. And then also she's quietly dealing with her mother's Alzheimer's and you know she's recounting her sex capades and like she's dealing with this by herself because her mother has no one else yeah it's, it's just it's just so heartbreaking and also uh, Meredith has great great character development I mean if we think about this girl this broken girl at the beginning of the series and now to see her surviving her husband's death mm-hmm. being the mother of three children and being such a, an anchor for, for Amelia and, and Maggie and all the people around her. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful journey. What a beautiful journey for her, for her character. Yeah, no, I think it's a really beautiful journey. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's that there's that Tumblr, I don't know if it's a meme or it's a post, where there's that photo of, you know, um, Meredith and Derek when they're doing a tea party for Zola at the Dream House. Yeah, and the, the caption is that, you know, Meredith is the Auntie Alice. And that, you know, this is somebody who saw no examples of love or marriage working out or, you know, having kids being a good thing or being loved growing up. And even when she was an adult, everybody that's supposed to love her leaves her and doesn't love her the way that they should and isn't there for her. 
and for her to grow and change and and do the work and do the therapy and you know come to this place where she can be a loving partner and a loving mother and a good friend and a good sister to these siblings she didn't know she had and that she takes on and to be the kind of person that hugs and loves her children and tells them how much she loves them and finds a way to bake cookies even though she sucks at baking like you know she she gets help and she gets it done yeah i think that is, is that is really beautiful because her fear for so long and for the earlier part of the show is that she's going to be like her mother and her parents and that she's going to be a terrible wife and a terrible mother and that she's going to get Alzheimer's and her kids are going to get Alzheimer's and like everything's going to be terrible. And it's Derek that, you know, that opens her up to the idea that she can be different if she wants to be. Um, She can be a loving partner. She can be a loving mother. She can be a loving sister. She can have sisters. She can, she doesn't have to be an only child. I think that's really, really beautiful, Uh, especially because Derek was so adamant that he didn't, if something ever happened to him, he didn't want her to be alone. Um, and she's not alone. And she has all these people in her life that that love her, that she loves in return. And I love seeing the bond that her and Zola have in particular. Yeah. Because, you know, she's, she fought, like, again, like she says to Thatcher, like, why didn't you fight for us? You know, why didn't you, why didn't you fight for me? Um, she fights for Zola and she fights for Bailey and for Alice so much. You know, she 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 fights for them to be well. She fights to for them to adopt Zola. She she fights for her kids and for the people she loves so hard all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just a beautiful journey. Yeah, absolutely. And also, these moments leads to another shocking moment. I'm talking about the hookup between Meredith and George. Oh, so cringy! Oh my god, this is yes, absolutely secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, right. <laughs> But at the same time, this is one of the most important moments in the series. This was, I, I remember when I watched the series um, in 2000, I think it was 2005 or 2006, I don't remember. Anyway, Yeah, this episode aired in February 19th of 2006. Okay, this was one of the most talked about moments. Like every, on the forums, everybody talked about it. Everyone <laughs> was shocked. Like, oh my God, Meredith actually slept with George. And, and it was, and I, I think, I mean, of course it is cringy, but at the same time, it's great, great storytelling. So I read that Krista Vernoff was against this storyline. She, while Shonda Rhimes wanted for it to happen, she wanted for Meredith and George to do this mistake. On the other hand, Krista was very against it because she thought that the audience could never forgive Meredith, you know, for sleeping with George. And I have to agree with Shonda. I think this is one of those moments of those moments that make for great television. Because in that final scene, we see Meredith. Meredith is actually broken. She, she's alone. And here comes George telling all the right words, the perfect words, because he says to her, I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna, you know, hurt you. And she has been hurt by Derek. She has been left by her father. So there is this perfect guy, this nice guy, who's the right choice for her in that moment. And she's just, you know, trying. So as much as this might hurt George, I actually understand where Meredith is coming from. I mean, George couldn't have chosen a, a worse day than this, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing. And what happens next the, the funny also, the drama, of course, but also the funny moments that come from this moment in the following episode, they're like amazing, amazing. 
So I have to say congrats Shonda because she was amazing at creating these buzzworthy moments, you know? Yeah, and I, I think it's also like a kind of a cautionary tale where like, you know, George does all the right things which is why Meredith sleeps with him and she's in a vulnerable place. But George, because, you know, he's only seen her briefly during the day and she does, he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know what's been going on. He doesn't know that she's gone to visit her father. She doesn't know like what's going on with her because he's tried to talk to her and she hasn't been listening or paying attention. You know, I think it's one of those cautionary tales where, you know, like you sometimes you get what you want, but it's not what you pictured. Like he thinks it's going to be this great thing. And then, you know, when the following episode, we see that, you know, like Meredith is crying and just wants it to be over. And, you know, she's, you know, she realizes this was a mistake and she's in a vulnerable place. And then she slept with him for all these other reasons that have nothing to do with George. And then he realizes that she doesn't really share his feelings and that, like, you know, that she's not like she's not into it. Um, and that's a horrible feeling. And it's one of those things where sometimes you get what you wanted, but it's you and the other person are not on the same page then that's not a good experience for anyone involved. I guess um, so. So I, I thought that was also kind of a, George, I think a lot of ways the character is a cautionary tale in that, you know, sometimes you try to make things work and they don't. Um, but the thing that I love about George and his arc over the show is that there's that scene later on after George has died where Lexi and Mark are talking. I think it's in like um, one of the, like the, the locker rooms or the lounges. And Mark is, is, is trying to get her to, to smile. And he says that uh, he slept, you know, George slept with all these beautiful, amazing women. Like, was the guy hung? Like, what, what was the deal there? Right. I remember that scene. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the beginning and, of season six. Yeah. <laughs> they, yes, were so, and, no, they were so funny. There was such a funny Lexi and Mark, Mark scene. Yeah. And, you know, and then she turns to him and she, she, she sniffles and she smiles and she goes, no, he was just, he was just a really nice guy. And, you know, you, you always hear that joke that like nice guys, nice guys finish last and, you know, nice guys don't get the girl and women go for jerks. And I mean, there, there is some truth to that, but I think I've had this discussion with a lot of exes. I mean, you can tell why they're exes now, um, <laughs> but there's this whole guy, there's this whole idea that, you know, um, you know, like nice guys finish last, like girls don't want a nice guy, you know, they want a bad boy, they want this, they want, they like guys that are jerks. And I think the thing is that like what a lot of guys don't get is the guys that say that they're quote unquote nice guys aren't actually nice guys because they're saying that. But if you're actually a nice guy, you don't have to say it. Your actions speak for you. And I think George is the perfect example of he's a really like he's not McDreamy in terms of the looks department. He's not a world class surgeon. He's an intern, but he's a genuinely a really nice, kind, caring person whose heart is in the right place. And you know, and as a result, he winds up, you know, in relationships and sleeping with all these beautiful women because, you know, they're drawn to that. I mean, that's not what this moment is, but I, I thought it was such a, a beautiful paradox of like, you know what, if you're genuinely a nice guy and you have something to offer, you know, in the long term, women do find that attractive. But, you know, they also find guys that are really good looking and successful and confident really attractive. And so I, I really love that, that they kind of showed both sides there and that they highlighted that what women are attracted to is someone being generally nice and or somebody being, um, being confident. So speaking of cringy, we had a few cringy storylines like Ellie's talking to Meredith about her sex life or growling like a lion or something like that. Yeah, she was purring like a kitten and then growling like a tiger, I think was what it was. 
my god there was such an embarrassing moment for for, for meredith right <laughs> mean to hear your mother say those words and and now eddie's and Richard, such an iconic couple, such a tos toxic couple. Can we can we can we use the word toxic for the two of them? I think it's appropriate, right? Yeah, I I feel like they're I feel like the whole Richard Ellis Thatcher Adele situation is like toxic, but I think more than anything, it's a product of its time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like if something like that happened today, I'd be like, oh my god, these people are idiots! Like that's so toxic. But because of the time period they were living in, that's so much a part of what happens and the stigma and, you know, the lack of access to the kinds of, you know, healthcare and procedures that, you know, Christina has access to several years in, you know, many years in the future when, you know, similar things come up for her. Yeah, I I mean, they're toxic, but I, yeah, I feel like they're a victim of, of circumstance in a lot of ways. Like they all make mistakes, but I mean put them a few years into the future, you know, at the time period where Meredith and Christina were living in. And those people I think would have made, would have made different choices, would have done different things, which doesn't excuse it by any means, but. Yeah. Every time I hear, you know, at least talking about Richard, I'm like, sorry for the guy. I mean, I know that he's, that he's, that I shouldn't feel sorry for him, but at the same time, she's so harsh when she talks about him and the way she you mean Thatcher? Yes, yes. It's like okay, so basically she had an affair with Richard. She was in the wrong. I mean, and she keeps saying Thatcher doesn't have the courage to leave me. Well, why didn't she? Why didn't she leave Thatcher? I mean, I mean she eventually does, but you're right at this point mentally she hasn't, yeah. It's like, "Oh, I get home and I have this big giant icky and and he doesn't say anything." So she she basically mocks him. I mean, I I think that I'm not justifying Thatcher, but you know I think Alice was was such a cruel wife for her husband. She she really was. Yeah, although that doesn't justify what Thatcher did because I get like at the time you know they you know he leaves, she takes Meredith to Boston, calls him from like the airport, and that's it. At the time, I understand why he didn't come after them you know because Alice is such a like you said she can be very cruel she's such a force of nature but as I think Meredith's whole point in this episode is that okay so she says to Mark that that's the first time she'd seen him in 20 years so they all they split up when she's five but after the point that she turns 18 you know we know that she goes off to college and stuff Thatcher you know, she gets his information from the phone book. He could have looked Meredith up at any point. Meredith is like, okay, my mother did a mistake, but I was not the one to make this mistake. So it's not about her turning 18. It's like when she was five, why did it disappear from her life? I mean, of course he had to take his distance from Alice, but Meredith had nothing to do with it. So he shouldn't even waited for, for Meredith to turn 18. He shouldn't just having give up on, on his daughter, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing is that we later find out that, like, she is, that Ellis is pregnant with Maggie at that time. So if he'd gone after them, not only would, you know, Meredith had a father, but Richard probably would have found out about Maggie, you know, mm -hmm. like, they could have been a family, or, like, when he marries Susan, like, you know, they could have been part of 
Maggie and Meredith could have been a part of that family with Lexi and um, I can't remember her sister's name. Molly. And so, yeah, the fact that he just gives up on on them. And I mean, I agree that it would have been harder for him to attract them down in that time period, but still he could have done it. And, you know, like, you know, this guy is basically, you know, leaves, doesn't, you know, has another family, gets married, has another family when he's finally ready to be a dad is this amazing father and husband. And then like Meredith finds out about that, you know, he doesn't even have the guts to tell her when she goes to see him in this episode, she finds out about that when Holly's admitted and then Lexi shows up and, you know, they're talking about how crazy proud he is and like how much that hurts Meredith. Like, you know. Yeah, of course, of course, of like, course. Yeah, they were all in the wrong. And I, I have to say this for Richard. That man has a lot of, you know, he's made him a lot of mistakes in his life. But something I love about his character is that when Meredith comes to, to Seattle Grace, and we later find out that Richard made that happen, is he makes the effort, they have many missteps, but he makes, he's the one of the only people, the only person out of Meredith's whole life, out of her childhood, to make an effort with her in adulthood, to reach out, to repair that relationship to be there for her. You know, Mary Sarone doesn't do that. Thatcher doesn't do that. Nobody else from her childhood ever comes looking for her, ever really makes amends. And and Richard does. And I think that is one of Richard's best, most redeeming qualities. Absolutely. Is that, is that he does that. And also, as I said, that this was not the only cringy storyline. We had another one, the orgasm storyline. <laughs> So basically, we have this woman who comes into the hospital because she had a car accident and she had it because she had an orgasm while driving. So she had like, I think, like seven spontaneous orgasms every day. And of course, this storyline connects to Alex and Izzy storyline. Alex and Izzy in the previous episode, they had slept together. And now the beast, as Izzy says, which is sex, I mean, the desire for sex has been woken up. And now she cannot just give up on her, you know, on her physical needs. And what I, okay, what I really loved about Early Grace is that the fact that we had this crazy, crazy, crazy storyline patience. And this is, again, this is a classic episode also because of storylines like this, you know, Mm -hmm. that embarrassing moments, that storyline, but also heartbreaking moments because we have this woman who has orgasms in front of her father. How embarrassing is that? I mean, that's that's crazy. I, I actually remember this one and it made me it made me sad for the for that poor woman. I mean, that must be awful. Yeah, yeah, it must be. And I liked her scene with Izzy where they're in the CT room. And she's like, well, is that such a bad thing? You know, if we can't fix this? And she's like, and she starts describing what it actually means for her, like in church or with her family or go to the movies or drive a car. And she's like, yeah, you know what? That would be awful. Like, it sounds fun in theory, but then the reality sucks. And I'm glad that they were able to help the woman. Yeah. And the other thing I'd forgotten kind of that I realized watching this episode is just how much chemistry alex and izzy and christina and burke had oh my god absolutely i mean this is also the reason why while everyone was mad when alex left joe for his i was like oh my god no i can totally believe it because that guy really loved izzy stevens yeah yeah they had this 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 great love yeah they have such chemistry in this episode yeah they have this chemistry and so do christina and burke 
the, the Christina Brooks storyline is very, very funny in this episode. It's a little storyline because basically Christina has moved in with, with Brooke, but she hasn't let go of her apartment because she already always has to have a plan B. And Burke discovers about it. And of course, he's offended by it. Of course, I would be offended as well. And by the end of the day, Christina lets go of the apartment, which means she's ready to commit to Burke. I thought it was a nice little storyline that shall really grow from, from Christina. Yeah, and I really loved, I'd forgotten that this was in this episode, but that Burke's speech to, to Christina, like, why won't you let me love you? I love that moment. And I'd forgotten that her eating the Chinese food for Lonely was from this episode too. That's that's also something that people gif a lot. <laughs> um, and she was like, oh, I gave up my apartment 20 minutes ago. And Burke goes, okay. And then he walks into the bathroom. And I also really liked that moment because that was something I liked about Burke as a character is that like they get into fights about stuff. But then, you know, when one party was like, I did this or I'm sorry, or here we go. The other person would be like, okay. And then they'd move on from it, which is yes. something that... I think really bothered me um, the first. So when Owen first appears, I liked Owen and Christina on there when he first appears, but then when he comes back to the show, he was such a different character because what he'd seen um, overseas had changed him. Is that was something that always really bothered me about their relationship was that like, you know, um, Owen, as we know, has a really hard time letting stuff go. He gets upset, upset about stuff and he just can't let it go. And so something I loved about Christina and Burke was that, you know, they'd be like, all right, okay, we've talked about this. Um, one person has apologized or they've done the thing. Okay, moving on. So yeah, I liked them as a couple. Um, although I truly believe, I love I love Christina's ending on the series and that like her true love is herself and cardiothoracic surgery. And I really, I love that for her, but I also really liked Christina and Burke. Uh, Jasmine, do, we, do you want to share your favorite quote or scene from this episode? Yeah, I had a hard time picking one because, I mean, it's an episode of a lot of really small moments. Um, I'd probably say my favorite out of all the iconic scenes is when Meredith is helping to stitch Mark up after Derek hits him. And we get the start of the Dirty Mistresses Club. You know, they're talking about it. And he's like, oh, like, you know, how interesting it is that, you know, Derek walks in on him and Addison like going at it and he just walks away. He sees um, Mark so much as talk to Meredith and he hits him. Oh, yes. Which I, I love that scene. I love the, I always loved Meredith and uh, Mark's friendship, the Dirty Messages. I, yeah, I, I always really loved their friendship. And I'm also thinking about the scene in season 17 where, where they're reunited on the beach. And he's like, your oldest is Sophia's age? Yeah. It's too early, Tiger. You're too early, Tiger. Oh, I just I just saw the Dirty Mistresses Club. So I, I think out of all the iconic scenes, I think that was my favorite. What about you? Well, it is related to that as well. I really love the last scene at the bar in which Meredith, uh, Meredith and Mark, uh, in which Mark says to Meredith, who knows, maybe tonight the Dirty Mistress Club will have, you know, luck. And Derek yes. will show up and Edison will show up. So I love that moment. Yeah, that, that, that was a good one, too. I know that you wanted to say something before we close this episode. Yes. What I wanted to, to highlight is that uh, we wanted to give a shout out uh, to Lister uh, Maria Yed, who was nice enough to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts back on November 9th of 2020. Uh, we just saw the review right now uh, due to some technical issues with Apple Podcasts. Uh, so we apologize for that. Uh, we, we did see your review. 
in the interview, they talked about how much uh, they love the podcast and how they're big Mary Hayes fans and asked us what our take was on Camille Lillington, Kim Ravers, and Kevin McKidd signing uh, three-year contracts for the show. Um, well, clearly those, that question was more relevant uh, back in November. Uh, we are going to try and answer it now uh, and give our take on it uh, because we are so grateful um, that you love the show and we're nice enough to leave us a review. And we're grateful to anybody who, who does that. Uh, so thank you. So, Giuseppe, before we wrap up, I thought we could um, talk a little bit about um, what we'd like to see for Meredith and Hayes in the upcoming season and what we think uh, Joe, Teddy, and Owen's uh, storylines uh, might look like. Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you, Mariette. And yes, so as you know, I'm a big, big, big Mary and Ace fan. And I'm going to be very brief. I really hope that they're endgame. And <laughs> about the question that you asked about Camilla Laddington, King Rivers, and Kevin Midkid's contract, I I really hope that this doesn't mean that the show goes on for other two years. <laughs> in the contract for three years for so season 17, which we just saw, 18 and 19. I just hope that next season, the 18th, it's going to be the last, not because I don't enjoy this show, but because I love the show and I really feel that we're approaching the end. Mm -hmm. So I really love for them to flesh out the perfect ending for these characters. And I, I, I love uh, Joe, I love Teddy. And as you know, I love Teddy and Owen. And they had such, such an important year of storylines. And I really hope that next season they can find their peace. Yeah, that's my hope. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, big Meredith Hayes fan as well. Um, I really want to see them, you know, I want to see them get what we, I think they were setting us up for season, season 17 before COVID hit. I want to see them, you know, start to date and develop that relationship and this big blended family. And I want her to get her happy ending after everything she's been through. Same with other characters. Um, while I've never been a big Teddy and Owen fan at this point, I do want them to get their happy ending. I want Jodi to get a happy ending of some sort of Luna and whatever her future holds um i'd love to see them bring in somebody new for her to date maybe to head up plastics um i want meredith to get her happy ending i want amelia and link to get their happy ending um yeah i want to i want a happy ending for my favorite characters um and i agree that uh yeah i think wrapping up the show this season would make the most sense with where they've kind of left everybody because I felt like they were kind of going in that direction at the end of season 16 and then COVID happened and they kind of had to put everything on hold. So yeah, so that, I'd, I'd like to see that too. And I think it would be the right time to kind of end it. And my guess would be if that happens that um, those three actors, um, since we know they're the only ones with three-year contracts, maybe they're going to do something else at ABC, you know, yeah. or Shondaland. Because I know sometimes it does happen where they'll have people signed on and they'll have them, you know, on another project or involved in something else. I also think that, you know, if this is going to be the last season, I think that we're going to have another spin-off. Yeah, people have been talking about that a lot, yeah. And I, I really think that Joe could be the next lead character. I mean, she's in, in an interesting point in her life. She has a new specialty. She just adopted a kid. She just, she just became a mother. She has a new love life to build because you know, her husband, Alex, left her. So I think she's in an interesting point in her life. And if they really want to do another spin-off, maybe she could be the star of it. Why not? Yeah, I feel like more people have been talking about, like, the April and Jackson spin-off, but that's a possibility as well. I mean, we don't know. We don't know where it's going to go, but I, I agree that, that that it seems like they are looking at doing another spin-off. So, yeah. 
yeah, we shall see. Alrighty. Um, that's our show. Uh, if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review, and tell your friends. Uh, our theme song is inspired by Kevin McCloyd. You can find us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Grey's Anatomy. Until next time, I'm Jasmine. I'm Giuseppe. And this is Dance It Out. A Grey's Anatomy podcast. Thank you.